Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World. This is Mike Delisio. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. Um, as we progress, and I know this is one of our newest episodes, I just wanted to thank all of our listeners out there for the tremendous support. We've had the opportunity to to truly dive into different disease states and to talk to some of our professionals that we have here on our clinical services team. And today will be another episode where we dive into another disease state and another topic of conversation. And we're going to be discussing pediatric compounding in more detail, but more specifically, discussing autism since it is Autism Awareness Month. And with that being said, I'm being joined with another member of our clinical services team. As I've mentioned in prior episodes, we obviously have over 25 representatives and pharmacists that are part of our clinical services team. And we are so proud to have Trisha Heitman join us today since she is not only uh, a PCCA member of our clinical services team for quite some time, but she joined since 1999. She joined our team for, I would say, almost 19, 20 years ago. So this is also her anniversary year. So Trish, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You were a graduate of University of Houston in 1999 and through residency program became more aware of what PCCA did and how we operated and you've you've been with us ever since. So I think that's such an amazing story and uh, we appreciate the fact that you've been a member of our clinical services team for that for that long. And talk to me a bit bit more about your experience, um, what it's been like over the last 20 years. I know we're going to talk a lot about what, uh, what interests you? We'll talk about pediatric compounding, obviously, but just a bit more about you, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are aware of who you are, but don't know really much about you. <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me today. Um, yeah, pediatrics has always been just a special interest of mine. Even in pharmacy school, I had hoped to create a career that included pediatric compounding, or sorry, pediatric pharmacy, and uh, through compounding have um, been able to do that. I've been so blessed to work with an amazing group of people here at PCCA, really, really talented group. And uh, I'll tell you, I've gleaned a lot from them over the years. Um, it wasn't all me. It was definitely learning from each other. So it's been a wonderful experience. So you've been with the team now for close to 20 years. Right. Uh, you've, you've seen a lot of staff come through. But what kind of picked up your interest specific to the pediatric compounding world? You said you wanted to have it be part of your practice. But Why? Like what, what drives Trisha to be the pediatric specialist that we all know and love? Sure. Um, I, you know, I'm not really sure initially what drove me to want to do it. I, I'll tell you some of my rotations in pharmacy school, um, I was able to see some amazing physicians in, uh, in that specialty. And I just really fell in love with it there. And then it, it, deepened when, um, as a, a pharmacist here at PCCA, as a clinical specialist, um, I was able to attend some autism conferences. That's when I met some really amazing parents, um, parents of children on the autism spectrum, and 
I was I was amazed at their dedication uh, to finding the best route, the best medications, the best diet, everything they could do for their children. It was they were amazing people, and uh, from then on, it really kind of incited a passion to try to help them get to their goal. Um, to try to listen to what they were saying about what worked for their kids and, you know, just to do my best to help and try to help um, other compounders to understand how important our role was in that community. Um, and then in all special needs children, you know, lives, because we could say that of all children, uh, parents of children with special needs, that they love and care for their children and they want the best for them. And they'll, they, you know, sometimes need someone to listen and someone to help. So, so that's really where that passion came from. And, and like, we've both got kids. And so right. I understand how hard it is to get medication into my kids. Yes. And, and, <laughs> right. And, and very fortunately, they don't have any sort of special needs. They don't right. have special dietary restrictions. I can I can literally bring something home from the pharmacy and say here you go. Yes. But these parents, like we're we're talking about everything right. could be could be a trigger. And so those experiences obviously they were relayed to you by these parents. Exactly. And you started thinking, "Oh, right. Maybe I can do something." So Yes, definitely becoming a parent drove all of that home for me. Um, now my kids have some special allergies. We have to avoid gluten at home. Um, and so understanding even a little bit more what some of these parents go through, um, and we just have the one, you know, one thing yeah. we're trying to avoid. So, um, you know, it, it, it definitely has brought it home to, for me how important what we do is, you know. Um, but when I first got into it, I didn't have kids. I just think having kids just heightened it. <laughs> so... So the, this is obviously going to be the leading question. Mm -hmm. you, you've seen this sort of evolve because I've heard you talk about some numbers with respect. Mm -hmm. And this is now going back to Autism Awareness Month. Give me some stats. What, do you, what, do you, what are you seeing in the population changes? What are the numbers that you're starting to see and why is this becoming such, such a bigger part of everyone's practice and why that this could actually be something that more people should become aware of? And is this something that we can offer as an option to the community? Right. I think the latest stat I saw was one in 39 children. I think it was one in 39 boys that were born in the U.S. now have autism. That that number was much smaller. That, that number was much, much, uh, well, the ratio was greater, I should say. <laughs> there was fewer, fewer kids born with autism. When I started uh, looking into this 20 years ago, now it was considered an epidemic then. And now here we are 20 years later. Um, it's definitely uh, deserves a lot of attention, um, a lot of research. Um, and so, yes, it, it's kind of alarming, uh, the numbers we're seeing now. Based on those numbers, Trish, um, you know, it, it's, it's really cool, and especially those that are not too familiar with us as a company or that happen to speak to our clinical services team all the time. We have 
experts almost in every disease state that are part of our team. You, you think about Nat and his experience with Durham, and I know he had the chance to be on the podcast and talk about that specific topic. You think about Sebastian and his, uh, his knowledge within in pain and, or functional medicine, and we, th- we think about you. You're one of our only ones or our only clinical services specialists that truly considers themselves an expert in the field of pediatric compounding, specifically with kids that suffer from certain special needs. Mm-hmm. Do you, have you seen an increase at the pharmacy level and specific requests that come back to us through our member stores? Because you mentioned that the ratios have changed. What has it been like from your perspective over 20 years? And are we seeing different types of cases? Are we dealing with all types of individuals on the spectrum? Is it is it varied? Just out of curiosity, because that to me would mean that patient population has increased dramatically. It has. It certainly has. And I'm seeing a dramatic increase in the number of allergies. That has been something that I've been very alarmed at over the course of 20 years, just the number of calls that we get for special uh, needing special medication that avoids allergies, allerg- specific allergens. So, um, you know, the top ones that we see, gluten, soy, corn, corn's a big one uh, for medications that are commercially available. You see that in a lot of medications, dyes and preservatives as well. Um, but it can run the gamut. I mean, it could, it, it could be... Uh, a patient with a very long list of allergies that we're trying to avoid. So the great thing is that I can honestly say we can do that. We can avoid those. And and that's something, that's a large part of what I'm doing at at PCCA. And every single child is unique and every single child requires special research and special formulation. Um, And so that's kind of what we're doing. That being said, uh, from an individual or from a pharmacist's point of view that doesn't necessarily compound, always tries to wonder what market they can serve, sounds like there's more of a pediatric market than ever before. Uh, Just based on the fact that there's dosage forms that could eliminate exposure to certain dyes, lactose, gluten, et cetera, corn byproducts, the list goes on and on. have you seen an evolution in dosage forms in general and things that we've done from an innovation and R&D point of view, but also from a formulation point of view? Because we think about Suspendit. Suspendit was a proprietary base that was designed for oral suspension or oral solutions. What have we seen um, in terms of a formulation point of view from medication changes and other dosage forms that may have been adapted for these, these children? Definitely. I think Suspendit's a good example of that. I'm glad you brought it up because we created it for pediatrics in general, and then we've um, gone as far as increasing the number of beyond-use date studies that increase the expiration date so it allows um, parents not to have to return back to the pharmacy as often. Uh, which I think is wonderful. And we've also tailored it to children who might be on a ketogenic diet. And it's, um, it's, got, it's free of a lot of allergens, not every allergen, uh, but we, c- we can always help you um, decide if it's right for that particular child. Uh, 
but uh, for children on the ketogenic diet, it's got a low carbohydrate count. And so that can be helpful. We know what the carbohydrate count is so that it can be adjusted for in the diet. Um, so those children who have seizure disorder and might be on a ketogenic diet, they may have a seizure disorder and have other um, conditions like uh, beyond the autism spectrum as well. So it's, it's opened up um, a number of things. And I think that over uh, the next few years, hopefully we'll have some even more uh, unique things. Another thing we're doing that I love is uh, we've got trochee uh, molds now that are childproof. I think that's a big point uh, that we need to drive home that we need to childproof these things. If we make them taste good and give them to the child and adjust them for their likes and needs and that helps mom and dad as they're giving the, or the caregiver as they're giving the medication, we'd also have to make sure they're childproof. So those are some other innovations we're, we're making. Um, and we've got trochee bases that we can use, uh, popsicle, popsicles we can make. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty fun because we get to really create something unique for each kid. So you, we, were, we were talking a little bit about allergens. And, so walk me through. I'm now calling in and I'm saying, I need help. I've got a kid who's got these 15 allergies and I want to give them uh, some drug. Right. Propranolol. Sure. <laughs> uh, where do you start? What do you do? What is your thought process? And how do you actually get to the point where you can say, here, this would have been appropriate for you? What resources do you have at your disposal? And how sure. do you go through it? Sure. Um, well, the first thing we do is look at the drug and see what can we, what, what is it going to be stable in? What um, kind of dosage form will it be stable in? Can we, can we freeze it? Um, can we put it in an aqueous environment where there's water? Um, or is it not stable that way? So we first look at the drug, look through the studies and see what it will be stable in, see what pH it needs to be, et cetera. Um, and then the second thing we're going to do is within those options for that drug, we're going to go through and look at each individual base, meaning it could be a trochee base or a suspension base or um, a base that we have to create this uh, uh, methyl cellulose or, or a suspension base that we create for that child and make sure that um, we pick one that has, uh, that fits within their allergen list or even their dietary needs, special diets. A lot of kids are on special diets. Um, and so once we figure out uh, that, what I do is I go and look at each individual um, base and each individual um, chemical or active ingredient that we're putting in there and make sure that the allergen statement um, lists that it's free of those allergens. So we go to a great extent to make sure that what we're giving is, um, is right for the child and that we um, make sure that we do it right for them. So, so that, that can be an in-depth process. You could it spend... Is. 20, 30 minutes just mm -hmm. looking at allergen stations and looking at starting materials and right. vetting it all before you even say, okay, I got a plan. Right. And they go, mm, no, that's not going to work because this is a <laughs> special needs child who has, say, a sensory issue with that particular right. dosage form. Have you run across that? 
for sure. And I think that's another thing to think about. It's just not about allergies. Like you said, Sebastian, I mean, you know this too. It's um, also, um, you know, we're, we're looking at what are their special likes? Sometimes children with um, special sensory disorders, and, and we see that quite a bit in children with autism, they have um, special sensory disorder. So that could be um, the smell of the medication. It could be the color. It could be the texture. Um, it could just be the flavor. So they may specifically like something that is white and flavored like a strawberry. <laughs> so we have to be very careful um, about that. Um, some children love the gummy uh, flavor, the gumminess of something like a gummy trochee, like a gummy bear, if um, you're familiar with those. <laughs> um, but others don't. And so we'll have to create something else. Um, and even children who... Uh, refuse oral medications altogether. We've got options for that. We can do sometimes transdermal and also sometimes we'll do uh, suppositories and that can even be preferable to the children. And that's just something we, we work through with the kids and their parents. I think you gave our audience such a, a wide range of opportunities. Even if they don't have much experience as a compounding pharmacist, they don't really understand. Truly, when we talk about close to 10,000 formulas, a lot of our formulas are because of the dosage forms available right. and how things can be altered and changed or administered. Um, I feel that our audience is always eager to know more about pearls and marketing their business and we've seen that just based on the overall success of episodes that are geared just towards to marketing itself. If you were to own your own store and you were focusing simply on pediatricians and the market that they serve, and we think about the triad, we talk about the triad almost every single episode. So taking the physician in mind and obviously the patient, what would we do to help market your practice if you specialize in pediatric compounding? Absolutely. I think we're going after those special needs that the physician may not have an answer for. Um, and to me, it's a, it's, I mean, it, hopefully an easy sell when you go in and tell them um, that you can help with their kids who have multiple allergies and you can't give them ibuprofen or acetaminophen over the counter. I mean, just those kinds of simple things they can't even take. Um, I would think that would be a really um, a beneficial, uh, you know, uh, service that you could provide to their office. Um, so then they can also talk about how they help cater to those children um, as well. Um, kids with the sensory disorders, kids that are difficult, even just difficult to um, to dose, um, treatment failures because they're not dosing their antibiotics every um, every time they need them, and, and you see that quite a lot. So, um, it sounds like it's yeah. very unique and very dependent on what the pediatrician has seen themselves. True, and and I guess asking them the question of, have you encountered um, an unfortunate child that has to go through this specific situation mm -hmm. and that cannot take their medication. And mm -hmm. I'm sure it'll resonate with them pretty quickly that 
there's going to be one situation that an allergy or a flavor or something was a mm-hmm. part of the final dosage form that made a positive impact on that child. So, Absolutely. I, I guess there is a uniqueness component. And mm-hmm. without talking about specific molecules, GPIs specifically, what's going to be dosed, it, it really is unique around the patient itself. I think it is. And I think, I I do think it's a great service to offer. And I feel like you don't even have to go in with a lot of APIs. You can go in and talk about your service and how, how, just like we talked about before and how you deal with, with each individual kid, um, and how you, how you individualize the medication. I, I think that would be an excellent service. I'm going to bring this around and say you must have spoken with uh, Sadino a lot because this is where he really made a mark uh, with his practice and making a real splash in his community saying, I can do this. So you must have worked with him a ton, and he's probably got a ton of cases that he could share. Anything that stood out when you were working with him originally to get to, to see his practice flourishing? Yes, he works with um, many children who have mitochondrial disorder. I have learned so much from him. He has a wealth of knowledge about mitochondrial disorders and um, the importance of the supplements that these children get um, to you know for their disease state progression. So um, I have learned a lot from him, um, how to deal with the, the combination that these children need and their special needs. Some of them are on special diets as well. So I think, I think all of this goes hand in hand. Absolutely. So individualized medicine, looking at the overall needs of the patient, special considerations, and then also kind of standing back and saying, how can I, can, how can I make a positive intervention? So... Tell me about some of the successes that you've seen that you've gotten feedback from members that you've been been involved in. Okay. Um, I'll tell you about a story um, that includes melatonin toothpaste. That sounds pretty crazy, but it worked out really well. One of our members' ideas, um, I wasn't sure about it at first, um, but we... Uh, got together with the parents, and they told us this child in particular wasn't able to spit out their toothpaste very well. Uh, They were having a little bit of trouble doing that. Um, It was a child that was on the autism spectrum. They needed the melatonin to help them sleep at night, and they were not able to get it uh, dosed very well. And so they decided to put it in the toothpaste, and the toothpaste um, that we chose was just a a toddler toothpaste that doesn't have fluoride, so it's it can be swallowed. Um, the child is able to brush their teeth, and it worked like a charm. It was amazing. So it was a little outside the box for me, but it worked really, really well. We use um, we do use melatonin in various dosage forms: uh, transdermal, sublingual, oral. Um, we've had some really good successes um, getting or helping children with autism sleep at night. Um, I even had um, a member uh, tell me that after I talked about melatonin for sleep and autism that she went home and told one of her 
customers about it and they were able to compound something for a couple of twin boys that were keeping their parents up really late. They were on the spectrum as well and the parents were just not sleeping. It was really wreaking havoc on on the family and the parents relationship and uh, they were able to give the melatonin at night to the boys and the first night she got a text and it was a picture of the boys both asleep at a normal time, which was just a miracle. And then the second picture was the mom's face and she was crying. And that just gives me chills every time because it was such a simple intervention that helped that family so much. So very cool. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> so you've got to have more. I'm you, sorry. We, we were starting to talk about like, what about other molecules like methylcobalamin or, or sure. other nutritional supplements or sure. is there medication options that you're thinking about? Sure. Um, methylcobalamin has been a remarkable um, intervention for some of the kids as well. Um, it helps them with methylation. Um, and some of the kids respond just amazingly. They go from uh, not talking to talking. It, it's been remarkable. Some of the kids don't have the same response, but for some, it's been remarkable. Same with uh, oxytocin nasal spray. I've seen um, I've seen that work really amazing uh, wonders in some of the children, um, and they're relatively low side effects. So I, I like those medications for for children. I've seen really great results. So. We're hearing this from you, and I so I pick up the phone and I call you, and, and I say, I need to learn more. I need more information, but I can't matrix you and plug into the plug in and, and get all the information out of you. Do you have a couple of resources that you would recommend right now for people who are interested in learning a little bit more so that they can explore this topic and then learn enough so that they're feeling competent to start speaking with patients and speaking with physicians and saying we can help and be involved. Sure, absolutely. For pharmacists and practitioners, I recommend you look at the studies um, that are available. There are a number of studies specifically um, on oxytocin. Um, there are many studies about melatonin. Um, we, I would look at uh, some low-dose fluoxetine, some of those things. But I always go to PubMed to find my literature. Um, I like to use primary literature when I can. Um, and if you need help finding that, you can certainly contact me if you're a PCCA member. And so any, because I've heard you talk about a few books about experiences mm -hmm. for patients. I know that there's a specific book that you recommended Sure. I know the author, but yes. I want you to talk about the book. <laughs> um, Children with Starving Brains has been a book that I've used over the years. It's, um, I think its last uh, edition came out several years ago. I still find it very helpful if you're just trying to um, learn more. Um, and there are a number of other books that can be read. Um, I like Children with Starving Brains, especially for uh, pharmacists and clinicians, because you can look in the back. There's a good index there, and you can find what you need. Um, and she gives good experience. Um, Jacqueline McCandless has a granddaughter on the spectrum, and so you get... Uh, her experience as a clinician 
um, in that arena, as well as her experience as a as the grandmother. So I like that book. Speaking of content, um, I know that you have a blog post that oh, yes. will be shared quite soon, um, and this podcast will probably be simultaneously timed with the release of that blog. So anything you want to share about what the blog will consist of and and some of the information that you plan on sharing at that point? Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going into um, how we can make better dosage forms for children on the spectrum and giving options for you. I think it would be a good uh, piece to get you started with marketing. Um, we also have some materials if you want more information. I wrote a CE that we have available to PCCA members um, that I can send to you at any time. It's 16 pages, I believe, so it's got a lot of detailed information and um, information about dosage forms. Uh, But the blog post um, will be an excellent uh, place to get started if that is something you're interested in. We've highly encouraged our listeners to not only subscribe and listen to the podcast, but the blog was released at the exact same time last year. And the reason for that was this was another way to interface with our customers. And we really wanted to release more content and not only our customers, but those that were not necessarily familiar with PCCA. So this is free public content. Um, This is speaking from a clinical point of view, a clinical perspective, and they get the opportunity to hear from you specifically, not only on this podcast, but within the blog. So just a reminder to our audience, in order to access the blog, you can go to www.pccarx.com forward slash blog, and you'll be able to see all of our archived content. And even if you are not subscribed, um, you still have access to everything there. And if you click subscribe, you'll get your bi-weekly reminders or a weekly reminder whenever content is released. And I know this blog content that Trish wrote is going to be really big news and and probably one of our more popular releases or archived information. So thank you for doing that, Trish. I know that it means a lot that you were also able to do the podcast simultaneously, like I said. Um, it, It means a lot not only to our audience because it I think Seb alluded to it. It ties into what Saad Dino had to say. Um, mm-hmm. Given his experience in the pediatric community, I think his his podcast overall was so touching to hear from a pharmacist's point of view. Um, I'm sure he would agree that speaking to the clinical specialist that we have on our team enabled him to change the lives of many patients. And I know that you don't really have the chance to to see the impact that you make on a day-to-day basis, but you definitely speak to the member pharmacies that have that interaction with fa- with overall families and patients specifically. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was definitely a disease state that we wanted to talk about. And, and given Autism Awareness Month, I think it, it was well-timed. And that's the reason why we wanted to have you on. Thank you. I, I just want to say thank you. I, <clears throat> I'm very fortunate that I get to work with you. And I, I hear over <laughs> the cube and I listen to what everything you're saying. And I know all of our listeners, they're, they're all listening right now, sitting in their labs going, oh, this is great. I'm going to get started on this tomorrow. Like I was talking to someone earlier today, and they say, I listened to the whole thing. This is great. Can't hardly wait. <laughs> but I encourage everyone who has questions about special populations, especially in the pediatric world, please, 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 this is an opportunity to speak to one of the best in, best minds in the business oh. with one of the most infectious smiles that I can <laughs> I see. Every I day. agree. And I, I should 
uh, make a statement that I'm not going to give out your email address. <laughs> and I did that to Sebastian and, and Nat said it was completely fine. But in order to get in touch with you, as Sebastian said, is to contact clinical services and then to put a message in directly for Trish. Because if not, your email m- inbox might blow up. And we don't want that to happen. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll protect you. I'll protect you. Uh, thank you for all of our listeners out there for listening to this week's episode. I would like to remind you, as I mentioned earlier, to please subscribe to the blog as well as the podcast at www.pccarx.com. Just a quick reminder to please uh, like us, follow us with on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Always be up to date on the newest PCCA information. Until next time, my name is Mike Delisio, and we'll talk to you soon.